Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LeFevre. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. And today is Friday, November 25th, 2022. And our guest today is retired U.S. Army Officer John Spencer, who currently serves as the Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at the Modern, Warfare, uh, Modern War Institute at West Point. He's also a co-director of the Urban Warfare Project. Uh, in... Uh, in his distinguished career, uh, he also has the distinction of uh, serving as a private to the rank of major in 25 years uh, of Army service. He also saw two years, uh, excuse me, two tours in Iraq as an infantry platoon leader and a company commander. He was also a ranger instructor, and on top of all of that, he currently serves as a colonel in the California State Guard. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've got a, an incredible career. Uh, something I didn't mention is he's also authored at least two books that I know of and uh, numerous uh, other articles. Uh, his, one of his current books is Understanding Urban Warfare. And uh, that's what really brought uh, John and I together, along with Mike, is one to understand uh, this uh, really uh, little-known book uh, aspect of warfare, I say little known because having gone through the Ranger course, the Special Forces Qualification course, and other courses that the Army offers, they really don't spend, I don't think, enough time on this uh, critical aspect of warfighting. Uh, but I know that you have cornered the market on that, and uh, so I'm happy to uh, learn along with everybody else today. But uh, just to get started, just uh, curious that you've wrote uh, that no other environment is more challenging for militaries than a city, and no form of combat is more inherently destructive than urban warfare. Could you just explain on that or kind of expound just to sure. kind of get started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've written or done podcasts, too, about why is it so hard, but I'm pretty adamant um, as an academic as well, that there is another place on the planet that is uh, more complex and more difficult for a military unit to be assigned a mission to achieve a, you know, achieve a mission. Now, you know, fighting in the Arctic is hard. Fighting, you know, in the jungles, like I did when I was a private in Panama, it's all, it's hard. Um, But there's nowhere where the, inherent attributes by definition of an urban area, which means that it has, you know, the, the actual man-made features of buildings and tunnels and skyscrapers and all of that. But it also has a population by definition, but people like civilians, non-combatants and infrastructure to support those people. Um, unfortunately, when you, when you talk to some people in the military, if you, you talk to them about urban warfare, they think about, you know, buildings, clearing buildings, shooting buildings, you know, breaching buildings, things like that. But the in 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 urban warfare, which I try to take a historical lens, you know, wide and deep, um, th- there's always going to be a population. There's always going to be already restrictions on the use of force. Like nobody really cares how much jungle you destroy. And I'm not trying to be flippant, but if you're you're, you're engaged in a, in other environments, there are less restrictions on the use of force. Mm-hmm. Um, a less complexity in action and then reaction, whether it's power structures or literal like impact on a local, regional, global economy or political environment, you name it. So there's nothing harder. And then so same thing with destructive, right? That, that kind of answers the destructive question of um, really, as soon as you insert a military into an urban environment, you're changing it. You could be destroying um, whether it's 
you know, like I said, power power structures or actual physical environment that could, that you know when I do this talk on why urban so hard is complexity means you don't know mm. once you touch it you don't know what you're really doing to it that's in the urban environment it's really hard to determine the the reaction to your actions in that urban environment that's fantastic and uh just something you said uh having just listened to your podcast with michael kaufman which was fantastic by the way for our listeners uh, you you might want to go and uh, listen to that it's entitled russia ukraine and urban warfare at the urban warfare project uh, but just that uh, in that podcast, uh, something Michael mentioned and you also elaborated on is uh, particularly Ukraine. Uh, when we think about, you know, World War II, we're thinking about, hey, these were this was the land of the great tank battles, you know, between the Nazis and Russia. And, and we're thinking of these large open expanses of uh, grassland. And uh, what we're seeing now that he brought up is, uh, you know, Ukraine is different. You know, there's a lot of cities, and so the the focus of a lot of the conflict has been, you know, largely in the ba- uh, in the urban areas, in the urban centers. Um, and I think, uh, you know, what you're raising there is something I'm no, I'm not sure that uh, we're focused, and I I believe that's probably part of what your impetus uh, is, is to make sure we're focused to do that fight. That seems like the the fight, the, the war of the future. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a no. No, that's a great point. Um, you know, I usually, you know, I've been doing this for over a decade, and I started off literally at the top, um, a part of a strategic studies group, um, looking at could the military fight in the megacity. Mm. It really started the the academic exposure, but the world has changed. So it's not the yeah. urban is the future. Urban is the present. Yeah. Now I I can everybody goes to Ukraine. Like I, I went in July um, um, to study the Battle of Kiev. And they take from the wars what they want to maybe rein, reinforce what they already were thinking before this war. And, and this is why this is proving that what we were doing was right. If you just look at it percentage wise, so you said focus, I, you know, usually I say, tell me how you spend your time, where you spend your time, and I'll tell you what your focus is. Mm-hmm. Um, the world, if you take World War II battles, which is great for large scale combat operations, you know, we're, we're looking a lot back to. You know, that since we're coming out of you know 20 years of doing you know becoming the best in the world at at, at counterterrorism counter you know counter insurgency you know learning all of our lessons so we're looking back to older battles and I do this too in my presentations of urban battles like mention you know have a conversation about World War II and somebody doesn't mention a city you know whether it's you know Stalingrad Aachen um, the Battle of the Bulge you mean wars are fought for cities, um, but now increasingly in cities because the world is more urban. And Mike makes a great point because you know there were wars, there were battles in World War II in Ukraine, but um, 1945 versus 2022, all roads lead to urban. Mm. Urban's is either going to be the objective or you're going to have to go through the urban area to get to your objective. Um, just looking at, you know, I try to Usually, when I'm trying to convince somebody um, who is stuck in their ways, of, so I, sometimes I'll start off with the numbers, right, of just the population increase. So, 1950s, since we're talking World War II, maybe I think that it's 30 percent of the world was urban, mm. and by 2020, over half, 56 plus percent of the world. But um, that's that's hard to do because even you're talking about Africa, like places. That, that haven't urbanized yet, but the the world is urban. Combat is urban, like today, like in Ukraine. Yeah, they're they're fighting in as this war has changed. When the war started, there was one battle that mattered: the Battle of Kiev. Mm-hmm. That was right. the that was just that was the objective. It was to penetrate the city, raise the Russian flag, decapitate you know, decapitate the government, and, and, no and of a yeah unlimited war. But I, I get frustrated sometimes where people you know, just continue doing what we've been doing for, for decades, um, maybe spending a day or two um, you know, practicing and clearing rooms. In a, in like, look, we, just like all other environments, there's a spectrum of combat from you know, 
visca like I, I study urban policing like how SWAT teams organize and all the way up to high intensity urban combat if we're going to prepare for pure competition and high intensity urban combat we have to we, you it makes common sense that we would change the things that we're doing mm. i get a little frustrated although it's it's actually job security for me so like you said i not that I corner the market, but nobody has invested uh, intellectual capital in like people and in research centers and in schools that do more than just shooting and breaching. So I have job security. That's great for me, but I get a little frustrated that we don't change our investment in time and resources. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating uh, a point, John, because something that we talked about earlier is uh, having gone through the, the Special Forces Q course, uh, we were talking about that there's really one day, usually one or two days uh, of urban warfare that's going to be, uh, these guys are going to be given of instruction. Not only that, I mean, if you look at uh, the counterinsurgency, just for a second, uh, having been in uh, Afghanistan, we're there for, you know, 19, 20 years. Uh, and I, by a show of hands, I asked people how many uh, in the course have read the counterinsurgency manual with no hands raised. And so I think uh, I think you raise a great point. Is we're not we're doing our army military a disservice uh, by not having enough focus on urban warfare, and I believe that's part of the reason why that your project exists. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at the what we call the dot mil PF right capabilities, doctrine, organization, training, personnel, all leadership facilities, all this. Um, there's always this assumption that the urban is the special environment, mm. right? It's, it's that, yeah, we'll, we'll train for a little bit, but everything will be woodland, you know, like in the woods or in the desert. That's what, right. you know, that's what we're built for. That's what we train in. That's what we, um, I understand enough now about, you know, doctrine. There's a big D doctrine. What's in those books that, you know, that people won't, you know, some people read, but there, I think people should stop lying to each other and whether they're reading it or not. But there's also a small D or big D, depending on how you look at it, of the way we do things. And that's cultural. And we do have, in the U.S. military, we have a culture of you know, what, what we view as our identity, like what, what form of combat, what environment, what mission. That I, I, like you said, if we knew, like just by the demo, by data, mm. war is happening in urban areas. Like it's the dominant environment it's not the special environment it's the dominant wouldn't we start everything from basic training to ranger school to q course with it starting in urban no and that doubt. being the preponderance of where we train because i'm telling you things are a lot different so the other assumption is that train the basics right so train the basics and you can apply them to any environment mm. i rail against that because i think there are such unique features to the urban environment in the physical, the population and the infrastructure and the constraints on force that, no, you actually, the basics are going to be drastically changed. So I don't agree with that. You know, we're going to train in the woods, but actually we're training for any environment. Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah Mike here, um, you, you brought up a lot of things that are just making my, my head sort of work here a little bit beyond what I'm used to. And, <laughs> and one of those things is, during my time in the military, we certainly had a rural focus. I mean, everything was done out in the wood lines, okay? And I think it was because we had uh, primarily Vietnam veterans running the military, and they were going off of their experiences. And we trained very well in that type of environment. Um, as I progressed through my career, um, we saw less and less recruits coming from the country, okay, rural areas, more and more recruits coming uh, from us from urban areas. Well, it made everything difficult from an NCO's standpoint because um, these they may not have ever walked through the woods. So teaching land navigation, all these other things that a lot of these country boys um, came with uh, instinctive abilities, um, you know, now you're having to train basic things. Um, urban combat was something that we did 
because it was a little more complex, I always looked at the sort of the rural combat as sort of two-dimensional. But when you get into the urban environment, it becomes three-dimensional very quickly. And it's much more complicated because you're having to look up at all these crazy angles and security and everything is much more complicated. And I'm, I'm listening to you and, and I'm, I'm thinking, um, yeah, we could start out with teaching where most of these people are coming from and where most people are living today. Um, but it, it, it is a very complicated form of warfare. You are right. It's, you, you can walk around the woods all you want. It's not preparing you for urban combat. Um, and it, it requires a lot of training. But the other thing that you bring up is the fact that there's also this sort of 30,000-foot level of it, which is do you really need to go where you're going? Um, in, in, the, in the rural sort of combat, it's like take this hill. You know, it's high ground. You know, that's what we need to control this area. But in the urban combat, it is not necessarily that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, I mean the the key train. So I, the way I've tried to, you know, even as I, I mean, I'm a student of this, right? I, I don't have all the answers. Um, I've been studying it from just about as many angles you can, from the strategic level down to the you know, the tactics level. I think there's there's two challenges in in urban. There's understanding the urban environment, and that could be the city. Like whether you believe it, it's an organism, um, what is key terrain and why, you know, all these frameworks that we use in the military that are actually to help us think through things faster, you know, um, to get to the so what faster. So there's one aspect of understanding the city and there's understanding how to fight in the city, like achieve the, the, the mission. Um, uh, there's huge gaps in our understanding of, of, in our military culture of both, um, you know, I agree with you. What you said really keys me because I've, you know, as I've, you know, I hit roadblocks. So I have to develop my elevator speech depending on who I'm talking to. Um, you know, we speak in terms of tasks and con- conditions, right? So the whether it's a mission essential task list or literally a, a, a mission set that we were given, we always view those as tasks. Um, and then the environment will be the condition. So even if you look at a conventional unit, he has a set list of tasks. You know even if it's airfield seizure or just attack. And then, like you said, they'll start off at in the open, right? Just open, you know, open field, like a glass house. You, but the, the concept is there and then they'll increase the complexity. I personally believe that, no, the urban is not the condition. It's, it, it's attack in urban. You know, there's so much that is, but I think by saving it for later, as you build a progressive training or education platform. But if you save the, the complex urban environment to later, I think you're already behind. When war should be, I mean, I can list through the battles. Ukraine is one place. You, We can pick another part of the world where depending on what the military, foreseeable military objective will be, and then the tasks that different types of units will be assigned, I'm still saying you know, all roads lead to urban. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's my point. When I got out, you know, we got rid of the battle dress uniform, the woodland uniform pattern. Yeah. yeah. And they went to the ACU. And, and, of course, that was a huge shock for a lot of guys that had, you know, spent an entire career wearing woodland pattern. And to me, it was almost – that was sort of the uh, switch to, hey, we need to we need to get used to fighting in an urban – environment because to me it just looked like an urban uniform it didn't look like anything that you should be wearing in the wood line and of course everybody you know knows the fact that acs are horrible you know basically in the you know out out in the rural area but when you go to a mount site what a great looking uniform so i didn't know if the acu was a part of that but if it was it certainly didn't really go anywhere because we were still doing the same type of training rather than just starting out like you're saying where we probably ought to be uh, where we're going to be, and you know where we're going to be fighting, which is in that urban environment, and taking kids that are coming into the military from urban environments, and just don't flowing them right into that environment they are comfortable with and are used to, rather than all of a sudden, you know, throwing them in the woods with, you know, with nothing but trees and rivers. Yeah, I mean, there is a, a like you know, the, I know just from being around a while that this is a some of this is about money. Right, and it's very expensive to build urban training environments 
which you can actually um, do more than just a single building, um, you know, or a, a series of 20 buildings to prepare you for a city of 3 million or, or, or plus. There is a cost, and I've been a part of, you know, research groups where literally the answer, like General Milley wanted a mega city training complex at, at NTC and it was like $80 billion. So they almost, that was a throwaway COA. Some of this is just about the way you think about an urban environment, let alone the way you train for it. So what, one of the things that I'm a part of in California and why I'm a part of the California State Guard, because there's, you know, leadership is a huge part of this. Like really, if any of our leaders in the military services said, I prioritize, I think urban is very likely for whatever, if it's a service or it's a functional area or it's a MOS or, or literally down to a unit, they have, we do have that power to say, I want to spend more time preparing for urban. So out in California, there's, there's a general, uh, General Woolrich, who said, I agree with what you're saying, John. Um, I live in Los Angeles. My mission set is in the Pacific. I don't see anywhere we're going to go with that. It's going to be urban. So we put together a course to train planners how to plan uh, a military mission, you know, a, a pl uh, an order for an, a completely urban environment. Because we have these, all these mental frameworks about, you know, the urban in, in, in that we have to break, right? I don't know if you call it the coin hangover or the GWAT hangover. Uh -huh. Even in the, mid, in the Middle East, we had these hangups about we're going to be outside the urban environment. We're going to plan and then we're going to enter the urban environment. Well, what if the urban environment is the complete operating environment? I mean, it, it, it'll change everything you do in basing, logistics, um, everything. So we built a course, which is a week-long course, just to train people on how to plan for an urban environment. Because I think you know, there's, you know, to include the Russians, battles that are lost in planning. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, so we've been talking a lot about Ukraine, and uh, something that I know that uh, I've been curious about is the Russian hybrid form of warfare uh, that they, by which they have used uh, in their playbook, um, you know, a lot of urban. Uh, techniques or tactics that namely like to seize uh, particular buildings uh, and then just systematic use of barricades. Uh, I guess where I'm, I would be going here is what, what can we learn from that? Or have you looked at that uh, that we could, we could take out of that, that playbook? Well, and, and one more thing on that is, isn't the way we fight urban much more uh, difficult than the way they are. Well, yeah, you could just level a city block. I mean, it's almost like we've got a whole set of different rules than they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that is that yeah. is that tying our hands? Um. So there, there, there is absolutely as, as a, a true statement that the Russians don't care about the law of armed conflict and you know all those elements of proportionality, and you know military necessity, all these things. Absolutely, but that isn't that hasn't especially in high intensity combat hasn't shown to actually give them an advantage. It's actually, we know yeah. you're keeping your military in accordance with the law, you know, the international global perception of just war is yeah. actually will help you achieve win your mission. Tactically though, no. um, tactically does it, has it given them this immense advantage? I, I actually don't think so. Right. Cause the, uh, yeah, the urban environment is the great equalizer is what we say. Yeah. Now, I, I've done research on why it's not, but if you can get to the urban area first, um, there are huge advantages to the terrain that it gives you. You know, the concealment from ISR, you know, the, conceal, you know, the protection against bombings and things like that, the way the Russians fight. Uh, but the – but so the answer is yes and no. It doesn't – our hands aren't tied. We've actually – um, but if we enter with our mindset of, of not urban, then we're going to be really have to adapt and unfortunately pay a price in blood to adapt. Like the, the U.S. military will always adapt yeah. eventually. Um, unfortunately, you know, that, you know, that first battle, that first hundred day, you know, whatever, we're going to pay a price in blood, I think, personally. And there have been other leaders who have said it, like General Milley, when he was a CSA, General O'Neill, like they'll say these things like, Literally, like in giant speeches, we need to train, man, and equip for urban. It is the future. Yeah. But I, but culturally, it's really hard to change an institution. Like, well, yeah, but you, you, we'd have to, 
we'd have to make giant changes in the way we do things. Like, yes, I want you to do that. Uh, but so 2008, 2014, right? So what you're talking about is that Russian, you know, we've done these studies, which are great reports on the Russian new generation warfare, right? About being able to insert uh, operatives into an environment and, and, and get a political instability in there that actually facilitates when you actually take, you want to take the urban terrain to be a resource for you. You know, that, that's what we saw in 2008 in Georgia, 2014 in Donbass, a little green men the kind of thing, conversations. Right. Well, unfortunately, that didn't, that didn't help them um, in a, so th those are what we call limited objective battles, right? So there's a limited objective. And what they launched into Ukraine, into this war, was a large-scale combat operation with the unlimited objective of decapitating the government. Right. right. So, so they attempted a joint forcible entry, like we, like we did. Frankly, maybe they learned the wrong lessons from the drive to Baghdad and the penetration of, ba of Baghdad, and they got they got slapped, they got punched in the face because they had a plan. Like, and like Mike Tyson said, they got punched in the face, which is why I wanted to study the Battle of Kiev, which, just yeah. like when I show people different battles, the Battle of Kiev, when Russia's would the Russian military was defeated by three thousand. Uh, a brigade, around 3,000 uniformed military, but which I think is really big to the special forces, tens of thousands of civilians mm. that they weaponized the population and then weaponized the infrastructure because they flooded rivers, they blew bridges. Um, it is a such a great study of if you come in with your way of thinking, you, you're going to it's, it's going to get a lot of people killed if you don't understand the, that specific urban environment and that specific enemy threat. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I think, which I love talking about is that the U.S. military is still holding on to um, frameworks which don't apply to these larger urban operations. Well, it's funny you're just talking about this because I'm I'm thinking about the um, the sort of the DNA and kind of you know how we're still thinking, and it even just goes like the military installations. So you know, Fort Bragg is grown quite a bit uh recently we all know that um but the instinct is we need to purchase more land and i'm talking about undeveloped um unused farmland and try to grow the reservation that way seems like that's always what they're looking for they're looking for something that there's nothing there and i'm wondering if maybe um the future would be the future installation would be an old uh, city, um, instead of tearing down, uh, you know, uh, crappy portions of Detroit, maybe this is the new military installation. I'm not picking on Detroit or anyplace else, but um, we do have some urban areas that have fallen into squalor, and I'm wondering if these are the new military reservations of the future. This is what we should be looking at rather than just farmland. Yeah, so I've I've been a part of a lot of study groups that have done this work, right? On what would it look like. I, I've I've written and I strongly believe that we need a urban combat training center. So we have our desert combat training center, right, out in California. We have our woodland combat training center down at JRTC and, and JMRC. Um, even you, it's not my world, but Robin Sage things like that. And I've argued for an urban phase of Ranger School. Yeah, there, 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 it goes back to that that money question and they even looked at like taking portions of Detroit and renting that portion out. Uh, for me, you know, infrastructure is one thing and there's a, there's a cost and we'd have to make a radical change just like we did when we first set out to create the combat training centers. Um, we needed certain environments because this isn't about a house or a building. Um, urban warfare is not, about clearing rooms. As a matter of fact, in Ukraine, there's actually very little to zero enter and clear rooms, room clearing going on. This is about being able to bring together capabilities, whether that's um, fires or combat arms, you know, infantry or maneuvering into a position of advantage in urban terrain. Uh, yeah, it would take some some investment in MILCON, the military, you know, actual buildings, but it actually I'm more concerned about let's let's change the task, the amount of time we're saying in urban areas. And I'll give you a, 
big giant list of requirements to train. I mean, the urban training center that we have out in California, there's two actually. One's ours, the U.S. Army's, um, the city of Regis is what it's called right now in, at the National Training Center. But the Marine Corps have an amazing one too called Range 220. They're just underutilized. Um, they're doing some amazing things out in CC. But even at Fort Bragg, and I get this sometimes from like, you know, conventional guys like, okay, I agree with everything you're saying. What should I train? Like one, don't don't train battle drill six. And it's not that I hate that battle drill, but I think it's 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 one of the mental hangovers that we have that we have to let go. Because it's it's about an intelligence driven raid where you know where the objective is. Like like that it's just not preparing our military for large scale combat operations in urban terrain. It's just not. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, having read uh, a lot of the material you have on the Modern War Institute uh, with the uh, urban uh, warfare, uh, in particular in your writings, something I, I noted, maybe you can elaborate on, is one of the principles you have in urban warfare, and that is uh, mass uh, versus the effects. And, I, and maybe I'm thinking in my mind uh, something when I was uh, being Every time that we've been uh, trained in urban combat, it's, you know, this is always something that comes up. You know, you have um, just the effects and the catastrophic fallout that can happen in an urban environment where you can't just, you know, willy-nilly waylay, you know, city blocks like, like our, you know, like the Russians are doing. But I, how would, uh, maybe you've written about this and thought about this, I'm sure you have, is how do we, um, how do we not do the village when we're clearing the village, if yeah, you will. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a saying that came out of mm -hmm. Vietnam, right, with destroying the village to save it. Um, yeah. I, I I reworded that, you know, a few years back to destroy the city to save it. Yeah. Right. Um, and this is, the again, the hang-up with holding on to frameworks um, of the past, even most recently, like, you know, and this is why I do case studies. Now, and what I find is that everybody wants a framework in which yeah. to understand what they need to prepare for or even justify what they're doing. Yeah. So, we're, you know, we're the, we're the most powerful military in the world. And, you know, Russia has been weighed and measured and it's no longer number two. It's like number 40 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but when no we, doubt. Right. Uh, the U.S. military, <laughs> I'm not saying they're not dangerous. And my, yeah. my friend Mike Kaufman would say, I mean, don't. I think more dangerous because of what we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we're going to have things like air power. We're going to have, you know, like joint warfare. We're going to have capabilities that we're going to bring to bear. But again, if the if the uh, so there's a mental framework that people have. So that destroy yeah. the city to save it yeah. is this ideal that you're going to encircle the city, and then you're going to penetrate it, and then work your way through the city building a building and and that is what, what i call the well, a friend of mine actually coined it called the precision paradox right yeah. i have i have hellfires i have jade you know i have, i can hit any building if i you know in front of me but if the enemy you know moves from one building underground to the next to the next even if it's unrestricted you know fires which it rarely is i i can precisely destroy every building in front of me and eventually if that's my objective is to clear the enemy there's so many that's that one framework everybody has okay circle the city yeah. deliberate attack but there's there's just lay siege yeah yeah, yeah i mean we've been doing siege warfare <laughs> since, since we've been having warfare so i mean yeah. it's yeah it's just kind of kind of we're kind of just uh, used to it aren't we yeah well i think people are used to preparing that way yeah but even like even in even in ukraine or in the second nagarno karabakh war right so i think that's a great example of like the objective was the urban area. There's a city in Nagorno-Karabakh called Shusha, which is on top of a mountain, like a cliff. Uh, and that city was the objective because it was, it was important. Um, the, the city was to capture the city. And, and they infiltrated by going along, you know, basically scaling a cliff and infiltrated a special forces element inside the city to where the enemy's plan of defending house to house was no longer like he woke up and, and that was no longer going to apply because the enemy was inside of the city. Uh, but there's so many other frameworks. If you tell me what the goal is and telling me about the specifics of a city, 
I mean, even this battle, in, like as we're talking, this battle in Ukraine just ended called in Harrison, right? Where you know, 20,000 Russians are in there. Um, there's a partisan activity that, so there's, there's actually irregular warfare happening inside the city, but they have a major obstacle to the back. Um, you isolated them with fire so much mm -hmm. so that you, you're going to achieve your objective, and it's not necessarily about clearing houses. It's it's the problem with our a very right. narrow form of thinking about urban warfare. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that that really hits the nail on the head. Is uh, we really need a, a Copernican revolution, kind of look at this a little bit different. I know that I have look at this. You know, because you're trained, uh, just my 20 years in the Army, you're trained to hit an objective, hit that target building or yep. group of target buildings. And the only reason why we need to go in the city to begin with is just to do that, to get said person. Uh, but as you're, uh, you know, enlightening us, right, that uh, it's, the, uh, it's not so much uh, the battle drill six and uh, room clearing and... Uh, you know, navigating your way through a cityscape as the city, the cityscape is the terrain yep. uh, that is to be held or, uh, you know, moved through. And uh, I think a lot of this, uh, I know that no doubt, I think at the end of World War II, uh, maybe we had a better grasp on this. I'm not sure. Maybe we moved well, away from this. Well, yeah, because I think we were in Europe, and we just kind of, you know, we, when we left Europe, I mean, obviously we were, yeah. you know, the next conflicts weren't quite as urban, weren't quite yeah, as developed. And, but yeah. now we're right back into sort of the developed world, and the undeveloped world is becoming rapidly developed. So, yeah. What do you, what do you yeah, say I mean, to that, John? 100%. I mean, like, look, there's lots of stuff, like you're saying. Like, I, I go back to urban manuals from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and there's some amazing stuff in there, some tactics, some techniques that we've lost. Again, because we're fighting a different war, but some of that's easy, like, oh, dust some of that off. How do you move with a tank down the street? Yeah. Um, you know, where you're supporting the tank, the tank's supporting you. How do you, um, how do, you do um, irregular warfare where you're mobilizing tens of thousands of civilians to fight with the military? And I, I, we haven't mentioned it, so um, not, with no affiliation at all when the Ukraine war started, I, I, I recognized that if the Ukrainians could buy time, so a lot of people just mm. don't understand the time variable. I mean, of course, it's one of our mission variables, right? Time. Right. They don't understand in urban combats, it, it sometimes it does come down to, can you hold for a couple of days? Can you uh, get in there faster than they can respond, right? So that's, that's how you take a city is you, you, you don't, uh, so Sun Tzu, which my friends of mine really love when I, they don't, they don't love it, but like one of the worst strategies you can ever do is attack a walled city. Yeah. And that's, that's he, common. He says that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just like, you don't attack a castle. You know, it, it, so I wrote a book, interestingly, for the Ukrainian civilians, not military. Right. When the Ukrainian war kicked off called the mini manual for the urban defender, which anybody who's ever studied regular warfare know it's a, it's a head nod to the, the mini manual for the urban guerrilla, which was simple instructions on how to turn the population around you into a tool and not a hindrance or an obstacle or something you have to protect. The Ukrainians did that where they said everybody, they handed out 20,000 AK-47s in one day, the second day of the invasion. They said, go out and fight. Um, that's powerful. It's an, it's an old concept of resistance and defense. But I wrote a book on Look, there's all kinds of stuff that we're, that's worked in the past about setting up barriers, setting up snipers, setting up um, you know obstacle, you know, all these things that help buy time in the defense. That I think a lot of people had forgotten. And the and the book went viral. And again, yeah. I didn't do it with any government affiliation. The book went viral, and they they printed off hundreds of thousands of copies because it it helped facilitate achieving their mission which in the first phase of this war was just hold everything they got, hold all the cities. That was what the enemy wanted. The enemy wanted the cities. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's kind of in the American tradition of the militia. You know, the Absolutely. Citizen, right? Yeah. The citizen soldier. I mean, I think in America, I mean, I think we're, we're kind of like, I don't know, more accustomed to that. You know, grab your rifle and defend your 
home. Well, I actually want to write something about Red Dawn. So Red Dawn is like this infamous. Well, right. yeah, you go back to Le- Lexington Concord. That, that that's exactly what it is, right? It's bankers, blacksmiths, all that grabbing a weapon and fighting for their freedom. Um, I think that the movie Red Dawn is also great because you know people want these frameworks which tells them to think about things, but there's there's a lot that Red Dawn got wrong that isn't actually what happened in places like Ukraine and other that stand up and fight for it themselves. You know, one of it is just that it's about urban and not rural, right? Because they escape into the mountains right. after they've already been penetrated, and and so they're not defending anymore. Now there's resistance, um, but also the veteran aspect. So one of the interesting parts when I went to Kiev was it was about civilians, but it was also civilians intermixed with a lot of veterans who had fought at some point in their lives that were leadership and you know motivation and all that to the civilians fighting. So Red Dawn was missing some of those hardcore veterans in their formation, not just a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, they kind of brought that guy in later, you know, the the down pilot. You know, that was, yeah, exactly. That was the yeah. veteran, but the, <laughs> Yeah, he did come in yep. late. Yeah, I he see. Came in late. I mean, so so yeah. here's I, I remember a time when they got rid of, you know, trench warfare. You know, we didn't train on yeah, trench warfare trench. anymore. Yeah. And of course I I think, you know, I mean I've been out of the military a while, but I'm assuming that they're, you know, dusting up the, the dust off of that and bringing it back cuz it's a lot like tunnel sewer warfare. It's a lot like hallway office building warfare. I mean, there's a lot of uh, similarities in the kind of the way you train because it really doesn't it really just all come down to um, your small units. I mean, your fire teams, your squads, your platoons. I mean, they're going to have to, you know, once you figure out what you're doing and why you're doing it, I mean, these people are still going to have to be, you know, go from point A to point B and defend and attack and all the different things in this environment. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the, the you know, the, the people that might tell you this, you know, even drones, robotics, all that stuff. And it comes down to, you know, groups of s- small groups of motivated, trained individuals, either holding or taking something from the enemy, 100%. But I think the most powerful of even that small unit will be the one who can use the urban terrain, as in the, the actual physical environment, the people and the infrastructure, best to achieve their mission. And this is the lesson that Ukraine taught Russia really fast is that these are my cities. I understand them better than you do. So even if you start coming in with you, you're not going to bomb your way to, to victory. Like that's proven in history as well. Depending on what your objective is, if you use mass, like we were talking about mass maneuver firepower, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're good enough at joint maneuver warfare, yes, absolutely. You can overwhelm somebody but that small group who understands that urban terrain um, like you said, the subterranean aspects, and that was in many of these, you know, recent times. You know, people just discount that subterranean environment as a resource to the defender or the attacker. Yeah, something that I like about um, uh, your institute and uh, is you have kind of like what we have done at Blacksmith Publishing is we've tried to take FMs and make them readable. Uh, and, and something I see that you have with, uh, you've taken ATP, I think the three dash, whatever it is, the urban ops, and you've made it uh, understandable in your book. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's, that's hard to do uh, because yeah. uh, for one, the, those FMs and those ATP is so dry. But uh, so that's, I think, a great approach to doing that. I just want to make sure that uh, that got said. Uh, and Thanks. then just want to get a plug for John's book too. It's called Understanding Urban Warfare. Uh, he's also written uh, Connected Soldiers, Life, Leadership, and Social Connections in Modern War. Now, now, now let's yeah, before you just glance over that now, because I'm just looking at that title. I have not read that book, but I'm thinking just by looking at that title that there's um, some application into urban warfare. hundred uh, percent, especially I mean, especially so- with the social connections. Yeah, what? yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Could you tell us about that? Just kind of, kind of tease that out. Sure. So the the book Connected Soldiers um, is a is a memoir of my 2003, 2008, and then actually 2018 when I stayed home with my wife. So it's about how do you build cohesive teams mm. despite the connectedness of the world that we live in. To 
Um, and I just did an interview, which was just mind blowing, of one of the soldiers, a British soldier in Ukrainian military who was at the Battle of Mariupol, which wow. is just this legendary battle, but he's connected the entire time to the outside world, to, um, so I know a lot of smart people think about like smart cities and all the sensors in the urban environment. Sometimes we view them as a hurdle, not as an asset. In my book, Connected Soldiers, I talk about the impact of connectivity to that ability to what we just talked about. You know, we know that small units win wars, small units of motivated men and women. And they do that because they're fighting for each other, right? The cohesive bonds. In my book, Connected Soldiers, I, I, I walk us through that, the history of that cohesion and how that band of brothers effect is so vital to survival. But in the modern world, you're also going to be connected with in real time, all day, every day to your outside social support networks. Um, even if you try to close it all down, like OPSEC, like, hey, give me all your phones, all this stuff. Um, that's not the world we live in anymore. So I think it has a real impact on warfare. And that's what we've seen in Ukraine, right? Everything from facial recognition and traffic cameras to um, Starlink. Uh, mm. providing everybody internet access. That is literally how they've been fighting, uh, that we're discounting the impacts of connectivity on every war fighting function yeah. and uh, the individual soldier's ability to to be that victory. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you hear, if you just follow uh, a Ukraine live map, I mean, you have you know, any cursory uh, glance, you're going to have uh, live time yeah. videos, uh, I remember when the invasion was happening uh, in February 20, whatever date it was, but uh, just how uh, everybody has a cell phone and, and how you can kind of, uh, you know, just seeing not only real time of what the Russians are doing. Uh, <laughs> well, even, like, <laughs> it had to be frustrating. Well, I'm thinking even yeah, just, I mean, <laughs> just a logistics part, um, the acquisition of material and, and people, um, the ability to communicate so quickly and yeah. in an urban environment, a lot of times it's it's, it's a huge. It's just it's just minutes, on, yeah. and a lot of times it's just minutes away, maybe hours. Um, you don't have these long distances that we're used to in urban in a in a rural setting. Um, so the connectivity just is a game changer in every aspect. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, John, it's, yeah. It's, sorry, John, I cut it's, you off. It's, it's it's one of the mental blocks that we have in the in in especially the U.S. military. Right, we're we're an expeditionary. Um, yeah. the world's best military, but we think we're going to bring everything that we need right. for war with us. Mm. You know, whether it's a network or a weapon, but the urban environment, the people that use the environment to the, achieve their mission, it, again, is going to be the best. So if you're defending or attacking and you, you have the ability to use that connectivity, I mean, they, the Ukrainians turn apps into reporting mechanisms. So now they have, you know, millions of eyes who can do an app, a secure app, report an enemy location, and then it could be targeting data. I mean, they, they've capitalized on the resources inherent in the urban environment to achieve their mission. We feel like you know, we're, we're big, you know, we're the best in the world. We're going to bring everything we need into the environment. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, something I want, uh, uh, well, at least I was taught this is the nine uh, principles of war. I was just curious about this, too, because, uh, you know, we have uh, mass, uh, objective, offensive, uh, off the yep. top of my head here, security, uh, surprise, economy of force, maneuver, utility of command, and I might have missed a couple there, but uh, yeah, moose must. But uh, once we look at those nine principles of war, uh, how would you nuance those? I've heard a lot of that, but how would you uh, nuance that in an urban setting? Yeah, no, great question. And then I'm asking, you know, the principal wars have stood the test of time, and that's why they're principles, right? Um, yeah. They all matter, but what the problem is that um, if you're not looking at them through the lens of a complete urban environment, not that mm. the urban is your objective, the right. operating environment is mm. urban. So you're built, how are you going to mass, like literally, how are you going to mass in a dense urban environment? There, there are ways. How are you going to employ fires? What, like, this is what we try to teach in, in that that one week course. For the, it's called the Urban Operation Planner course. Is that every warfighting function, it will impact it uniquely. Um, 
and, and I really like logistics, you know, of the principles of war, right? Phasing and basing or in the op elements of operational art, even it, how we do logistics. And this is what, again, the Ukraine war should be teaching. It's going to be a lot different when you have the, you're passing through urban environments. Um, how do you, how do you do the task organization to do all that? We all want to get to the, get to the X, like, mm -hmm. man, the, those principles, um, really you have to have planned ahead of time how that principle is going to play out in the dense urban environment because they're going to be really put to the test yeah no doubt and uh speaking on that too i know this is not a concern of the russians uh, i don't i wouldn't suppose but just counterinsurgency uh, on that note uh I, w I think you would agree that uh, urban warfare can be very destructive and perhaps more destructive in an urban setting than you would be in a, in a uh, rural. But uh, coin perspective, we put our coin hat on. I know that we have a, uh, a way of uh, have a, a coin hangover on this, too. But what, what could we say about that as far as urban uh, principles, urban warfare? I mean, so uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a person that says... I do think we have a coin hangover, yeah. but I also know from my no personal doubt. experiences, <laughs> there are lots of lessons that we learned in um, in our 20 years of the global war on terrorism about urban environments, about understanding who ho who holds the power. Like yeah. one of the things I did when I was a company commander in Baghdad, where the 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 mission of the military was to bring violence down. Period. Whether we did that through high value target raids. You know, network analysis. All that, the, the the goal was to bring violence to an acceptable level, and, and you know, better than Chicago, uh, to be frank. Uh, one of the ways we did that was putting concrete around neighborhoods, and then mm. putting gangs at checkpoints. Yeah, mm. yeah. We it took us six years to learn that. Yeah. That that in in urban environments, like you don't have the you don't have the mass to achieve urban security. You have to co-opt the existing power structures. Sometimes those will be illegitimate. Sometimes they'll be legitimate. Sometimes you're building some. But we learned to pay gang members. We called them sons of Iraq. That they were literally. I, I had I interacted Everywhere. with, with yeah. mob bosses. Yep. Right. I inter every day. My goal was to go pay a mob boss to make sure his guys are guarding his neighborhood so nothing blew up. Um, or in the like major battles, like the when when the entire cities, like the city of Sadr City, flared up. We learned a lot of tactics, techniques, procedures, operational operations about controlling the political um, environment. When you know in an urban environment, there's going to be lots of negative information for the information space. We learned a lot of lessons that we can't just throw away and say, okay, now we're in high, we're in, we're in Lisco. We, we can just bomb everything and you know, set us free. Like, no, that's just, it's not the real world. So even when you're planning an urban operation, this is again, what we teach during our, if you're not, if you don't have a major uh, resource applied to fighting for the narrative in a high intensity combat, like scenario, like literally city attack, if you don't have a, a big resource and it ain't, it ain't one guy, it ain't the PAO who's controlling the narrative of that mission from planning to you know, whatever it is post-planning, then you're going to fail. That's, that's in urban environments, that information space is as important as the enemy. In, if it, the enemy is in the urban terrain. Now this is a little uh, off the topic uh, a little bit, but uh, we've been talking a lot about Ukraine and Russia. I'm just curious if you could put on your uh, Nostradamus hat and just kind of maybe paint a picture of where this is all going. Yeah, I do that a lot. Um, some people say I'm, I'm just a Ukraine <laughs> cheerleader because uh, I am pro-Ukraine, right? Hey, we're, I'm there with you, my friend. Yeah, well, um, we got you back. But, pro but I, also taught, I, I, I also taught military strategy at West Point. I, I've, I've gone through all the what we call the Masters of War from Sun Tzu, Germany, Clausewitz, all this. Like, look, Russia lost this war a long time ago. Yeah, it, 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 it did. Like there's no there's no strategy that could be in, put into place, even a nuclear weapon that would achieve yeah. where Russia could achieve its political goals. Because all war is politics, right? That's it's, a, there's a political objective. Russia just, lost this war a long time ago. How many soldiers will die until Russia realizes yeah. that? 
um, or true. somebody takes out Putin or something like that. You know, that, that's like not even Nostradamus could figure that out. But as from a strategy perspective of the application of force or the threat of force, Putin lost a long time ago. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, so the que- the real question is, as you brought out, is how does he extricate himself? How does he? Uh, I don't think you can. You know, I think the the honor has been left in the soil at this point. Like I actually saw a. Um an article or been an article that uh, I hadn't thought about before, which was what restrains Ukraine now from maybe uh, enlarging itself from prior insults against it. Uh, taking back Crimea, for instance. I would hope, is, yeah, I would hope that Crimea is Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, you, I mean, yeah, is, yeah. is, is Ukraine going to be able to, you know, I mean, is somebody, are we going to have to worry about kind of restraining Ukraine after, at the end of this thing? I think the whole time I've I've seen this uh, restraint from the administration of Ukraine. I mean, uh, if if anything, uh, I mean, I think I think we we, uh, went over this quickly. But uh, in '14, when Russia took Crimea and the the oblasts, uh, I think you know Ukraine was not ready. And I think the invasion that happened in February, Russia thought they were going to have a part due. And just you know, a, you know, a duo over from fourteen, and they just they were surprised, and this awakened the uh, the nationalistic fervor of Ukraine. So I don't think, uh, but yeah, I think they get uh, they get Crimea back, they get the old blocks back. I would I would hope so, and you know I think there. I mean I can't speak for uh, Zelensky, mm-hmm. but I would think his mind would be. Uh, you know, if you did use a nuke, we're right here, so we can't go anywhere. So they're just gonna. They're using almost like that uh, tactic of the Viet Cong, which is to uh, they keep close to the belt, right? So they don't give them too much uh, space to move back. So every time we see the, the Russians moving back and re- retrograding, uh, of course the Ukrainians are just filling that gap. But yeah, the, so yeah, I don't know. I think you're absolutely right, John. I think uh, they lost the war already, and uh, they left the their honor they had. Um, what there was in the, in the dust. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think uh, they can really extricate themselves from this fight. But, uh, but yeah, it's well, they absolutely, have to yeah. eventually, right? And yeah. The war in, ends with the political settlement. Absolutely. Russia has, but I love talking about the science of war, right? So you know, the fact that you, it's all about any nation's ability to wage war is, it's a calculus of their means and their will. Mm-hmm. Russia is low on both. Yeah. Ukraine has a not an endless supply, but in, Ukraine has an alliance that will provide it with the means to fight for hopefully for long for long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah, outstanding. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I think John, we've we've covered uh, everything from World War II to uh, the present. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think, uh, I mean, I feel a lot smarter for having listened to you. Uh, guys out there, uh, our listeners, make sure you go to uh, the Urban uh, uh, Warfare podcast. And I, I wanted to ask you about this too. Is if you just tell us a little bit about the Urban Warfare uh, project? Yeah, and how can and, and, how yeah. can people uh, get up with you too if they need to? Yeah, so you know, I'm on. I'm out, I'm out there, right? So even in my book about connected soldiers isn't about disconnecting. I'm I'm on Twitter and all the places out there. Um, I know this, some of the special communities just don't play in that space, but I'm at, uh, the, the modern war is really easy to find. The Urban Warfare Project that we started, really when we started the Institute back in 2015, it's just a it's a research portfolio because you know this this thing called urban warfare is it's huge, and I'm not you know I'm not I'm a student of it. I learn something every day, even from people that write into urban war. Like I want to take on intelligence in urban environments, or I want to take on Know, whatever it is, and then we collect that all at the Modern War Institute. Have this portfolio, which yeah, I write for a lot. I write historical case studies that you can find there, um, because I think a lot of what we're going to see in the future is things that we've seen in the past. So I, I write mm-hmm. case studies about past battles. Uh, the podcast, the Urban Warfare Project podcast, is on all the podcast um, streaming, you know, iTunes, all those Stitcher, uh, and then you know, we're out there and we're working hard to try to figure this out. Well, we certainly appreciate you because yeah, it's not absolutely. going away. I mean, this is yeah. the warfare tomorrow. It's the yeah. warfare today. 
and it's only going to get more and more urban. So so we definitely got to get caught up. Anyway, John, I sure appreciate you coming on the the Pine Landa podcast. And we are definitely going to stay in touch and uh, be visiting that site frequently. We hope uh, you enjoyed the uh, episode today and enjoyed our content. Uh, And if you enjoy uh, the show, um, we hope you will support our sponsors and check them out. Blacksmith Publishing has been serving the warrior class since 2013. Uh, We have great titles written by warriors for warriors. And if you're looking for a great reference book or just want to unwind in the G-Base, make sure you check us out at uh, blacksmithpublishing.com. Also, Soft News, providing special operations news from around the world. Uh, Go check them out at soft.news. Fantastic site. Um, John does a great job of just keeping the soft community up to date on what's going on out there. And if you're looking for some cool Pinelander apparel, uh, head on over to the general store located at the Pinelander1776.com. A uh, great selection of shirts, jackets, uh, sweaters, hats, everything you can imagine. Uh, if you're interested in helping develop the country's next generation of warriors, uh, consider donating to the American Agogi Project. Uh, we're officially launching that next year uh, in, in celebration of our 10th anniversary. Uh, also, until our next meeting, keep your head on a swivel. Stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.